Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We are about to get into our encounter with God Bible study. But before we do, we always have a 400-point question for the quiz, and then we talk about what you've been talking about during the show. We get into text messages. So, Lawson, what have we got for the 400-point question? Who asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter? Okay, if you know the answer to that one, the number to call is 0491-064-669. You can win a bargain book from our selection of bargain books, or you can get your points on the board and continue to work your way through the quiz. Again, that question was, who asked for John that Baptist heads on a platter? The number was 0491-064-669. And so, yeah, guys, call in and put in your answers. I reckon there's two correct answers for that one. Yeah, one of them is me. No. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Lawson, we need to do something about you. Anyway, (laughs) let's go to text messages. Uh, The the news, 7 o'clock news, it says, looks like we're going to be the rat lab of the world. 100 million doses of NRNA vaccines deal with the pharmaceutical companies over the next 10 years just for Australia. Do they know something we don't know? I, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. We <laughs> do fi- do we they know out. something we don't know? Well, we if we knew, out. we would tell you. Yeah, so, that's right. So we do not know. <laughs> anyway, drone shuttles, I can see that happening. Remember the TV show The Jetsons, I must admit, is taking much longer than I imagined. I expected the sky to be full of flying cars by now. I don't remember the TV show The Jetsons. You, d- you don't know quite, The Jetsons? I'm not quite that old. Do you know what the well, Jetsons actually, is? Well, actually, no. I'm old enough to know who the Jetsons are and to have watched yeah. their show, but I grew up without TV. Yeah, you're just a hillbilly. Yeah. Yeah, that's we're what it is. The bush. But there this is no the TV thing. Like, flying... You could, you'd get a TV and you could, you know, twiddle a cat's whisker sitting on top of it and you'd, you'd get a white, cl- a white cow in a snowstorm and that'd be about it to cool. see on the screen. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a white cow in a snowstorm. <laughs> That was about all there was. The, the problem with flying cars is not that we don't have the capability to be able to do it. Because I believe we've had the capability to be able to make flying cars for a long time. Like well, ver- Flying cars have been around for a long time. Yeah, v- vertical takeoff and landing mm-hmm. is a thing, like mm-hmm. 100%. No, the problem with flying cars is safety. It's cost. It's safety and cost. cost. Yes, safety and cost. <laughs> all right, but hopefully those things are both coming down. Uh, <laughs> Raphael says, dumb phones, I can see the benefits. Might be a good idea. Would surely reduce stress in your life. Rachel says regarding drones, not convinced that they, there will be no accidents because it's a robot. I mean, my computer still glitches and my phone restarts randomly from time to time. No brain doesn't oh, mean better. There's actually a big case happening right now in the United States over like a hit and run that was done by a lady in a Tesla. And so she hit this person and left the, the person in like a critical state. Yes. And then, but because then she, she was driving in automatic. No, 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 no. But then she, she drove off like it was a hit and run, but then they, they caught her. But then she claimed that she was in self driving mode. So now, and the car drove, and the car drove in. And then it's like, I, I think they've like, so they're like running the schematics and saying like, was she actually in self driving mode? And then I think her defense, if it's like no, is that, oh, well, that's because. It's not in self-driving mode because it glitched out, and that's why it hit this lady. So it's like this big issue over. Oh, this is gonna be yeah. a fun one to follow. So th- I think this will this will go right up because I think this lady. Because dude, if if <laughs> if this lady actually committed a hit and run, she's gonna go to jail. Surely, if you're in self-driving mode and you put your foot on the brake, the car would stop. Yeah, hundred percent. But this is the thing. It's like 
was she actually so i from the cynical perspective which i'm gonna hold right now um she is a bad driver she hit someone and thought she could get away with it but then they found her so she's not going to be able to but she has the capacity to be able to argue on some technicality that maybe the autopilot was on because i think when the autopilot's on you can't hit people one would think so yeah I would assume that to be the case. Anyway, uh, furries, Rachel says, regarding furries, perhaps it's because all these kids have grown up using smartphones and iPads and not going through the developmentally appropriate imagination stage when they were three. I think there's actually validity to that. I have no idea, Uh but I think there's validity to that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also just escapism. Whereas, yeah, of course. Yeah. um, Rafi... Raphael says, insanity rules. Have you noticed that psychologists are now in control of who is what? State-sponsored terrorism. Let's get back to the word of God. Wow. They must think we all left our brains at home. Sadly, common sense is not so common. Uh, Okay. And then there's another text message here that talks about righteous indignation and the fact that God gets angry. And Mm. so anger is a... We need to mention that anger is an appropriate response to certain situations. We should be angry about sin. We should be angry about Satan. Mm -hmm. There are things that we can be angry about. Anger isn't altogether bad. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue. You know when your anger is inappropriate. Mm -hmm. You know when your anger is sin. And what you need to realize is that anger is a decision. Nobody forces you into it. Nobody makes you do it. It is 100% your decision, and you don't have to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are the text messages we've had so far. Let's jump into our Bible study, and we are heading over to Hebrews chapter 12. How far did we get yesterday? Uh, one verse. Okay, so we're doing Hebrews chapter 12, one verse at a time. Actually, no, we, did a bit, we did a little bit more than one no, verse. No, I, I don't think we, wait, we might have read the next part, but I don't think we really said anything about it. I think we, we, so we read, um, oh yeah, that's like the best part. Oh, I remember because I was just kept reading and reading and reading and lol. You did, I couldn't shut you up. You lol just couldn't stop me. But we, we, we didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about it. Let's read read verse 4. Let's talk about verse 4. All right, verse 4, the Bible says, After all, you have not yet given your lives in struggle against sin. Mine says it a little bit differently. It's the same. It's the same. No, mine You've says you have not yet resisted, resisted unto resisted blood, blood striving against sin. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean resisting unto blood striving against sin? So many people have read this in the past and they're like, well, you know, I need to resist sin unto blood. And so they will do things that will make them bleed so that they will stop sinning. Get yeah, No one d- did that. Lots of people did that. Are you serious? Absolutely. In fact, there are still people who do it today. Lawson is looking at that me is with wild credulity. Are you it's kidding? Called flagellation. That that is. And what scary. you would do with the, with uh, flagellation is that you would get a whip that oh, would be no. uh, full of sharp things, like really razor sharp things. And you would march in a religious procession and you would whip yourself with that whip. Oh, this was just one form. There's a whole bunch of different forms of uh, flagellation where people would, uh, you know, 
do different things to cause themselves pain and cause themselves to bleed so that they would become more righteous and less sinful. That is scary. When I was traveling through Iran just a few years ago, you walk into a shops and you could buy these whips so that you could go out and whip yourself with them. Mm-hmm. Just straight off the shelf. It was, you know, buy one in the servo. Mm. It was an interesting thing to see. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty confronting. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Christianity, of course, this used to be a thing back in the, back in the day. Uh, you know, back, you go back to the time of the Great Reformation of the 16th century, and this was not uncommon at all. Mm. Uh, people who wanted to become really righteous would, would, would do these kind of things because they would read this verse here and say, oh, you've got to resist under the blood. So, all right. If God wants blood, I will provide blood. And they would go and provide blood so that they could be pure and holy. My Bible says blood shed, which like, oh, oh well, my Bible doesn't. So I've, I've got two Bibles in front of me. One that I commonly use because I love this chapter and I've like, it's, da- it's Just about memorized tattooed it. in my brain. And then the other one is our, our studio Bible. And in my Bible, um, it says resisted unto blood shed. Okay. Which like, that's an indication of like death. Yes. Mm-hmm. And your studio Bible says? Uh, it. I think it literally says, like, after all, you have not given your lives. So you haven't given your death. life yeah. to death. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we've got this whole um, contrast where, you know, these more modern, modern translations have recognized that, you know, Jesus is not, you know, the, Paul is not talking about, uh, you know, flagellation mm-hmm. or, you know, beating yourself or cutting yourself in some way. Because the Bible is very, very clear that followers of God were not to do these kind of things <laughs> ever mm. under any circumstances. I mean, this mm. was banned back in the time of Moses because it was a popular pagan practice at you know, that particular time. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so what about resisting unto death? Mm. Well, uh, the illusion is coming from like it's saying you haven't done it because in the previous verse it says <laughs> Christ has Jesus done it. has. Yeah, that's right. Je- the, exactly, and you can't do it. Like y- he's the only one who has ever done it and could have ever done it. And this is Paul's whole point all the way through this passage. And mm. people who read, you know, verse four on its own and go, "Oh, we need to flagellate ourselves." have taken the verse out of context and missed the whole point Mm. of what the passage is all about. The whole point of the passage is that Jesus is the one who has died for us Mm. and that his sacrifice is perfect and complete and it secures for us salvation. Mm. Okay, does that mean that we are not to die in order to receive salvation? Is there a a death that we die as well? To receive salvation? Yes. Um. Well, I don't believe so, right? Oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, because there's this, there's this little thing called death. No, itself. don't say, it, don't say. It. I was going to get there, Lyle. I was going to get. Now you look, made me look no, silly, I Lyle. Did, I did. Nah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, but no, that's like the point. It's like we, because of Jesus's literal death, we don't have to. We don't have to die. Literally die. We don't have to literally die. But yes. you know, as he says uh, in the book of John, like eat my flesh, drink my blood. This idea of um, accepting Jesus' death even in life and, yeah, dying to self, 100%. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. 
So we don't literally die. The Bible calls we we, we die spiritually. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not mm-hmm. I, but Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's Galatians chapter two and verse twenty. Mm-hmm. It's a classic verse which talks about death. I am crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. You're dead. Nevertheless, I live. Well, how is that possible? But not I. Mm-hmm. I'm dead. And Christ lives in me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I've often pointed out here on this station is that that I love about that verse is when Paul says, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, there's a lot of different deaths that he could have chosen to illustrate death to self. Mm -hmm. The Bible doesn't require a particular kind of death to self. The Bible didn't require Jesus to die a particular kind of death to pay for the to pay the penalty for sin. The Bible simply says that the wages of sin is death. Mm. But Paul uses crucifixion to illustrate death to self because it is the one form of death where you can't do it yourself. Wow. No one has ever committed suicide by crucifixion Mm. because that is impossible, physically impossible. Mm. And why why does Paul do this? Why does God say this? Uh, God is trying to illustrate to us that dying to self is not something that we can do. It's only by the power, it's only an outside power that can can enable us to die to self. It's only an outside power that can enable anybody to be mm-hmm. crucified. Mm-hmm. And so we need that outside power that comes from God alone. All right, that's verse 4. Let's read verse 5. In verse 5, the Bible says... Let's read verse 5 only. Only verse 5. Only verse 5. Okay, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and read only verse 5. As the Bible says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Okay, so now the Bible goes on to talk about chastening. Yes. The chastening of the Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know the flagellationists from you know back in the day, and people who still do this, but particularly the flagell the within the Christian context, would read this and like, oh, the chastening that comes from God, resisting under blood, and they would start to put this together, and they would be like, well, I need to bleed, and I need to be chastened, and I chasten my kids by you know spanking them, so I'm going to chasten myself by beating myself because I'm not a kid, I'm an adult, and so I can take more, and you start to see how. This twisted kind of theology. Lawson's just sitting here cringing. I'm to the going max. to cringe to death. Like that is <laughs> terrible. I, I'm like resisting cringing to death, dude. This is that is awful. But that is how people have twisted the Bible in the past. Mm. And the only reason we don't have the same thing today is because it's not fashionable right now mm. within Christianity. I feel like this is a passage that, like, you know, when like you know, not like Bible hating atheists. They'll pull like that one verse out of context and they'll be like, see, God is so evil. They would like take this and be like, look, see, God wants you to beat yourself up. When it's like this passage, firstly, like, you know, resisting, as we said, resisting um, sin unto bloodshed and unto death was like what Jesus did and what we can't do. And now we get to this section where it's like, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you. It sounds like, like, God chastening us <laughs> has nothing to do with us beating ourselves up because then we'd be chastening ourselves. Um, but in fact, like it's it's all for our benefit. God sees us as sons and he wants to lead and guide our lives. Like, man, the perfect God in heaven wants to lead and guide my life and bless me and help me to live better. Wow, that's terrible. Like, 
No, obviously not. Like, God loves you and he cares about you and he knows exactly how you're made and he knows exactly what you need. And this is ultimately saying, like, okay, Jesus did all these things that you couldn't do because you're an absolute failure. You're a messed up human being. Um, but that's okay because God will come into your life and help you. He will chasten you. We need chastening. He will chasten you. Dude. Okay, so what do we need chastening? I mean, I don't like chastening. I had plenty of chastening when I was when I was <laughs> Bro, a lad, when I was a boy. <laughs> I don't like it. Why do we need it? Oh, dude! Like, like wouldn't I? Have, wouldn't I have done you know much better in my life if I'd never been chastened? No, well, you know that's wrong. I know you try to like make some silly, silly like, oh, wouldn't I be better off? And obviously, the answer is no. Okay, and we can both speak to this. Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. Because both of both of us were chastened. Yes. Uh, and chastening is simply an old English word that means discipline. Yes. Both you and I were disciplined as kids growing up, and it did us a whole lot of good. Oh, it was the best thing ever. Like, mm-hmm. literally, probably like the best thing that could have happened to us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens when, you know, when you read on down through these passages, I think, oh, down to verse 12 or 13 or whatever, um, the Bible continues on with this theme of chastening and how God disciplines us. Mm-hmm. And we look at what God is actually accomplishing here and God is illustrating that, you know, for sin, mm-hmm. there are consequences. Yes. So this is something that we need to look at because you find it from the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you find discipline from God coming through. And what you find is that most of us raise our children in the image of Satan rather than the image of God. Mm. So when you when you go to Genesis chapter 2, you find that God says... You can eat of every fruit of the tree of the garden except this one right here. And he sets boundaries. Mm -hmm. You can't eat this one. You can't touch this one. If you do, you will die. Mm -hmm. So God sets boundaries. He tells them what they cannot do. And he also sets for them at that particular time consequences. Mm -hmm. Now, what you'll find with children, and I'm going to speak to this a little bit because I do have some experience in it, is that children will always, you, you can set those boundaries but children will always test those boundaries to find out whether they are there. Mm-hmm. And the reason that children do that is not because they are innately naughty. Actually, well, they are innately naughty because they have a sinful, broken human nature like the rest of us. But they will test those boundaries because they want to feel secure. Mm-hmm. And so they will reach out and they will touch the wall that you have set in place and they will even push on it mm-hmm. a little bit. And if that wall moves they become insecure. Mm-hmm. When you notice what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they pushed on the wall. They touched the wall. They touched the fruit. They ate some of it mm-hmm. that God had said don't do. Mm-hmm. And the wall did not move. Yes. Because at that moment they came under condemnation of death. At that moment they began to die mm-hmm. because God said if you do this you will die. We get this fake love for our children where we think that it is loving not to discipline them. Mm -hmm. And so we have our children, we said, don't do that, and they do it, and we don't discipline them. Mm. Typically what we do as parents is we nag them rather than discipline them. And we say, don't do that, and don't do it again, or I'll count to three, or any of these kinds of things, (sighs) which is basically teaching your children that obedience, instant obedience, is not necessary. Mm. That the consequences aren't coming when the act is done. Mm -hmm. The consequences may not come at all. Okay, so let's contrast that with Satan. What did Satan say? What did Satan do? How did he react to discipline? He said, there are no consequences. Mm -hmm. God said, 
there are consequences. Satan said, there are none. Mm. And so when you know, Satan says, you shall not surely die, there is no consequences. So here's the thing. If we create boundaries for our children and we set consequences and do not follow through with those consequences, we are repeating the lie of Satan, you will not surely die, and we are raising our children in the image of Satan, not in the image of God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Anyways, let's have our last clue for the quiz. 500 points. What did the Philistines, envious of Isaac's wealth in flocks and herds, try to destroy? 0491 is the number to call if you know the answer. At 500 points, you can win our 500-point prize for this morning, which is called, and this is very much related to what we've been talking about with Byron, Abraham's Other Son, Islam Among Judaism and Christianity by Philip Saman. So if you want to know cool. all about it, 0491 is the number to call. And again, that question was, what did the Philistines, envious of Isaac's wealth in flocks and herds, Try to destroy. Okay, give us a call right now. Let's jump into our Bible study. We were talking about discipline and we were talking about boundaries. Yes. yes. And, uh, you know, I know I've talked about this before, but it needs to be talked about from time to time. When it comes to children and raising children, we talked about how that God set boundaries with consequences that were unmoving. Mm-hmm. The boundary was don't touch the tree or eat its fruit or you will die. Mm -hmm. Death was the consequence, and death did not move when they did so. You can imagine how devastated God was when they did that Mm -hmm. because God loved them so much. But Mm -hmm. in his love, the consequences still came immediately. Mm -hmm. Satan, on the other hand, came along and said, there are no such thing as consequences. Mm -hmm. You shall not surely die. Yeah. And so when we set boundaries for our children and do not follow through with the consequences, we are by our actions saying, you shall not surely die. We are saying there are no consequences for what you do. Mm. And we are raising our children in the image of Satan and not in the image of God. And, you know, when there's, there's a great way of illustrating this. If you've ever played the game, you know, it's a, it's a great family game. It's a fun game with kids or when you've got, a you know, a whole cross-generational get-together happening, blind man. And in Blind Man, you um, you put the mask on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you you get spun around like ten times or whatever. And then you try and catch people. You got to tag everyone in the room. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun game, right? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But you put you put that blindfold on, and you suddenly feel super insecure because <laughs> you don't know where the walls are. That's right. You don't know where the boundaries are. And so often when I've been playing that game, I've seen somebody put the mask on, and then they've gone out and felt around and found out where the walls are. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to hurt themselves. They're feeling insecure. They feel so much more secure once they know where the walls are, where the boundaries are. It's like, okay, I know it's you know three steps that way, five steps that way. Yep, I have myself oriented now. Mm-hmm. I know where the boundaries are. We're in good shape. Let's go and tag everybody. Mm-hmm. And, of course, everybody's jumping around and tapping them on the back of the head and you know sneaking you know underneath their arms and all that kind of stuff trying to, <laughs> to get away from them and be the last person to be tagged. Which is, yeah, it's just altogether so much fun. But the point here is imagine if you were playing blind man and you're like, okay, I need to orient myself here, find the walls, find the boundaries. You reach out, you find the boundaries, and suddenly when you reach in the wall, the wall starts moving Mm. and you don't know where it's going to stop. 
What's that going to do to your sense of security? Oh, it's going to make you feel awfully insecure. You're going to feel incredibly insecure uh, because the wall moves. Mm. But I think and we you, do this to our children. I think even furthermore, like if the wall keeps moving, like this, the reason you try and find walls in Blind Man is because you don't want to trip over ob- obstacles. That's right. I don't want to fall over the table or the couch and hurt myself. So I need to know where they are. That's right. And so that's why, whereas like if boundaries keep moving, we don't know where obstacles are. That's when we get hurt because ultimately like the end result of, of not disciplining children. Okay. And, and not being disciplined ourselves um, is that we push those boundaries and then we end up getting hurt. The reason they exist is to protect us. Yes. Now we can talk about, you know, wrapping kids in cotton wool and, 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 you know, the potential harm of not exposing them to certain things and not forewarning them and telling about things, but that's also bad parenting. Yes. So we, we need to have God that. was the perfect parent. He pointed it out. Mm-hmm. This is the problem. Yes. Don't touch this tree. Uh-huh. These are the consequences. But it's, yeah. So we need to do our due diligence as, as parents or as people, you know, like I I have this experience. I'm not a parent, um, but often I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, to my fellow Christian brothers and sisters, especially people like as a leader in the church, like I'm bringing through and I'm baptizing and stuff. And like, um, yeah, just all kinds of situation comes up and, and questions get asked of like, oh, is this right? Is this wrong? Like from people who are brand new Christians to me. And, and, and um, you're a spiritual parent to them. And I'm like, hey, well, actually, this is not right. Like you, you, you shouldn't do this. This isn't good for you. Um, and obviously that comes as a result. Oh, they're, they're an adult. I'm an adult. We are, we're both adults and I, I can't control them. But as, as a friend to them, as a person who has like a friendship relationship with them and is a brother in Christ, uh, you know, there is that responsibility that I have. Um, and so, yeah, we should all be modeling. And because, and the thing that you tell them about is like, because doing this will ultimately hurt you. There are consequences. So, so don't like, don't get caught up. And so, yeah, we have, have such a need, but ultimately that is modeled by God. And that's what we see here in this passage, which is, which is great. Yes, it is. And and of course, when those boundaries don't move and, and, you know, you come back to, um, you know, what happens when, you know, our child crosses one of those boundaries or pushes on the boundaries, they are trying, they are doing that because they want to feel secure. Mm Mm-hmm. They're doing that because they want you to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And when you nag them, it's like the kid has the blindfold on and you just move the wall. Mm-hmm. When you count to three, one, two, three, you move the wall every single time you count and you are making that child insecure and you're making that child unhappy and, as you are saying, you make that child unsafe. Yes. Because... You know, if you're standing on the side of the road, and this has happened to so many kids, it's an, well, it's just an awful tragedy, and the kid goes across the road and the parent screams at them, don't because there's a car coming. Mm-hmm. If you haven't taught your child instant obedience, if you haven't set boundaries, what are you going to do, count to three while they run across the road? Yeah, wow. Oof. You know, I've, I've seen it happen where kids have, where kids have gone to cross the road, the kids of the parents have screamed at them, "Don't go on the road because there's a car coming." They turn around, they look at their parents with that fear in their eyes, and they're like, "I have to cross the road." Mm. And in desperation, the kid runs across the road. And whew, thankfully, I've not seen ever everyone seen get hit, but I have seen that happen. And the reason that the child looks at the parent with that desperation and fear in their eyes is because they're trying to find a boundary. Mm. They're trying to find security. They are an insecure kid and they are so desperate for security, they will risk their lives mm. to try and get that security. 
Mm. Yeah, they don't understand you know the full consequences of it, of course. Uh, but this is this is what we do as parents, and so as parents, we need to set boundaries. They need to be very clear boundaries, and they need to have consequences that never change and that never move and are never reduced. Mm-hmm. That's what we find here as we read through this passage here in Hebrews chapter 12, you know, right the way through until verse 12, um, an amazing chapter. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You were listening to Anna Beden with It's Not You, It's Him here on The Breakfast Show. As we come to question of the day, we're about to have some answers for the quiz. Lawson, what have you got for us? Okay, our answers to the quiz for 100 points. The answer is honey, 200 points, shall see God. For 300 points, it was killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. That's what they did to the vineyard owner's son in that parable. For 400 points, the answer was Salome. And for 500 points, the answer was Wells. But right now, it is time for... Question of the day. All right, our question of the day today is, why does Jesus call Abitha the high priest in Mark 2.26 when 1 Samuel 21 indicates that it was Ahimelech? This is a really good question. Before we jump into question of the day, I just want to remind you, if you've got a question that you would like to be answered here on The Breakfast Show, we would love to hear from you. We normally have a little bit of a backlog. Our backlog is running thin at the moment, so... Start sending those questions back in. Uh, we will get to them. We will put them to, onto our list. And so far, we have answered every question that has ever been sent to The Breakfast Show. Let's um, go. So we are not censoring these. We have a freedom of speech thing happening right here. So whatever you ask is what you will get. Uh, answers for. So um, so we've got this question here. The other thing that I want to mention before I jump into it, of course, is a quick reminder, 8 o'clock this evening, second instalment of the end.digital. Do not miss it. We are going to be talking about the religious element of the war in Russia and the Ukraine. So that's going to be a very special presentation. Let's get back to our question here. Why does Jesus call Abiathar the high priest in Mark 2.26 when Samuel 1.21 says that it was Ahimelech? Okay, so in Mark 2.26, what happens is that Jesus' disciples, they walk through a field of grain. It's the Sabbath day. They are hungry. And they pluck a few uh, ears of grain and roll them together in their fingers and start eating them, uh, which was a thing that was fairly common to do back in the day. You were allowed to do that if you were what was called a sojourner, a traveller. A travelling person could not harvest and take food with him, but he could harvest and eat food on the spot. And so this is what Jesus and his disciples do as they're passing through this. But the Pharisees give them a hard time because they're like, well, it's the Sabbath day. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. That's agriculture. And Jesus reminds them the story where in exigent circumstances, uh, there were things that happened that were out of the ordinary. And one of those circumstances was where David, when he was fleeing from Saul, came to the priestly village in Nob. And there he uh, asks for some food. And they're like, well, actually, we're out. We don't have anything you can take with you. And he's like, well, what about the showbread, which is the bread that was in the in, in the uh, in the tabernacle and was only to be eaten by the priests? And they're like, well, that's the only thing we can, we've got here, so, yeah, you can take that. And Ahimelech says so. But in Mark, Jesus says that Abiathar the priest said so. So who was it that gave David permission to eat that bread? Who was it that gave that bread to David? Was it Ahimelech or was it Abiathar? Okay, 
So when you actually look at the story, you find that Abiathar was the son of Ahimelech. And this is something you're going to find which is not unusual in the Bible, where the high priest and his son or sons actually function together. So the high priest is probably getting old, and so he's training his son in, and so both of them are functioning together as the high priest. Some examples of that would be Eli and his sons. Eli was the high priest. He was very, very elderly. His sons were doing most of the work. He still was officially the high priest until he died, but because of, you know, obviously he was very advanced in age and feeble, and so his sons were the active high priest. So you had high priest and you had active high priest. You have exactly the same thing happening in the time of Jesus where you have Annas Annas and Caiaphas. Annas is old and feeble and is the actual high priest, but he's passed it on to Caiaphas because he's a bit past it. Mm. And so this is not unusual. Uh, We see this happening in many different circumstances today where this kind of situation takes place, and it was how it operated in the Bible. And so the assumption is, and I think it would be a very safe assumption to make, that Ahimelech was quite elderly. He was the actual high priest. Abiathar was acting high priest. Together they ministered to David's needs, and the Bible refers to them as both being a part of what took place at that particular time when David was helped in his time of tremendous need. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.